Amen. Let us come to Ruth chapter 2. Our text, page 283 in the Bibles under the seats, Joshua Judges Ruth. We read, those who were here last Sunday morning, read, looked at chapter 1, which ends, chapter 1, verse 22, that they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And that sets the stage for chapter 2. We'll read and consider the 23 verses of this chapter. Let us hear the word of God. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Then she rose to glean. Boaz instructed his young men, saying, 
Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So far the reading. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Ruth chapter 1, much geographical ground is covered from Bethlehem to Moab and back again. In Ruth chapter 1, much chronological ground, much time is covered, 10 years plus a little bit more. Also, in Ruth 1, we cover a lot of emotional ground. It is a chapter of deep emotions going into the valley and in the midst of that valley also taking us to a soaring mountaintop profession of faith. Ruth chapter 2 is in many ways a direct contrast to Ruth chapter 1. There is not much ground covered. We just go from the city limits of Bethlehem to a field on the outskirts and back. There is not much time covered. Only a single day from morning to evening, at least from verse 1 to 22. We cover a few more weeks in verse 23. But basically, one day. And while there is much here that touches the the emotions, it is fair to say that Ruth chapter 2 is much lighter emotionally. In fact, uh, it has been said that Ruth chapter 2 is a kind of chapter that just kind of makes you smile a little bit and that you can almost see a smile on the narrator's face as he gives the details of this chapter to us. What is all going on here? And uh, should we even be thinking about things like budding romance 
or is that not to be on our mind? And what is, uh, what's all going on here in Ruth chapter 2? Well, one thing that Ruth 1 and Ruth 2 have in common is that they do both take us to rich theological truths. Perhaps the richest theology here in chapter 2 comes now from the lips of Boaz in verse 12 when he speaks about how Ruth has sought for refuge under the wings of the Lord, the God of Israel. And so we use some of that language for our theme this morning. See the rich rewards under the refuge of the Lord. And first we'll look at working in the name of the Lord and then encouraging in the name of the Lord and then speaking in the name of the Lord. Well, this chapter begins with a hint about what is coming. There is a worthy man in Bethlehem. His name is Boaz and he is a relative of Naomi's. Uh, We're told this by the narrator twice in the first three verses. He is of the clan of Elimelech, verse 1 and verse 3. And uh, right here, uh, the narrator is telling us something that Ruth has no idea about yet, but he's giving us a not-so-subtle hint about what is to come. After all, this was written after the birth of David, and so anyone reading it knows that they're reading about Bethlehem, the town of David, and so family connections might be especially important here. And when something is mentioned twice in three verses, our attention is definitely being drawn to it. This is not just any worthy man. This is a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, a close relative of Naomi on her husband's side. Of course, brothers and sisters, now we read it in the New Testament context and we know that we're not only reading about a chapter that takes place entirely in the city of David, but we know this is the city of Jesus Christ. So we'll speak more about this, Lord willing, on Christmas morning when we come to the end of the book. But let us say that hints like this, which are not so subtle, are already pointing us to the end game, to the end of the line, to the end of the family line, to Jesus Christ. This is not just any little town. This is the town of David. This is the town of the birth of Jesus, our Savior. Now, zooming back in on Ruth and Naomi, and Ruth has no idea who Boaz is or who anybody is. They arrived, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This may very well be the very next day. This may be her first full day in Bethlehem. She might know nobody. Uh, She is the foreigner. Um, But she is not going to sit around. She's not going to take a day to recover from the rather long journey from Moab back to Bethlehem. She is going to head right out and work. Naomi uh, stays behind. Um, We maybe shouldn't read too much into that. Maybe she legitimately needs a rest from that long journey. But it is a little bit surprising. Here is this young daughter-in-law, this Moabite with no connections, and no idea who anybody is, where anything is, how safe anything is, and it's the daughter-in-law who's going to go out and work in the fields. We don't know exactly how old Naomi is, but she's maybe 
uh, in her 50s or so. You know, gleaning is hard work, but you can do at least a little bit of gleaning when you're older. Uh, in the state of Montana, the gleaning laws are still in place. And uh, for my family, that was important. They ate a lot of gleaned potatoes in, in, their, in their days. And my grandma was so used to gleaning potatoes that even when it was no longer a financial necessity, she continued to do it. And she was still gleaning potatoes when she was 80 years old in the fields of Montana until finally one of the, one of the potato farmers in, in the church in Belgrade found out about that and came to my grandma and said, Ida Mae, please do not glean potatoes anymore. If you need any more potatoes, ask me for a box. And so gleaning laws are still something that play a role uh, in helping the poor, even in the laws of some states in the United States. And it's something that we might think maybe Naomi can go out, but she doesn't. Ruth is going to head out on her own. And brothers and sisters, right here is the first of a few little applications that we see all throughout this chapter. We'll just highlight a few of them in our first point. And the first application, the first little application is this. We are called to hard work. At this point, we might think of Proverbs chapter 31 and the description of the Proverbs 31 woman who is very diligent in her work and in her labors. And we're seeing something of the worthy woman, as Ruth is called in chapter 3. We're seeing something of the Proverbs 31 woman worked out in daily life, worked out in historical narrative. Uh, hard work is a blessing. It's something we're called to do, and it's something we see here in this chapter. Well, where is this hard work going to take place? Looking at verse 3, we already looked at the end of the verse. This is the clan of Elimelech. Where the narrator's highlighting this. It's something Ruth doesn't know. It's something we know. And how did she get there? A literal translation of the start of verse 3 might be something like this. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to happen to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She chanced to chance upon. She arrived by a stroke of luck. That's the language of the Holy Spirit-inspired narrator. Does the narrator of Ruth believe in luck? No. He is speaking ironically. He wants us to hear the words chanced to chance upon and to sit back and say, wait a second, did this just happen to happen? Or is there a deeper purpose going on here? So she happened to happen to come to the field belonging to Boaz. And then... Boaz has already been highlighted, and now the text emphasizes his appearing. The ESV helpfully puts in the word behold in verse 4, behold Boaz. And so now they are both on the scene. The worthy woman and the worthy man are now in the same field. And Ruth is here gleaning. Gleaning is, is mentioned again all through these verses. Right here we're going to stop and we're going to have the second little application of our first point. It is good to look for ways 
to provide for the poor while at the same time encouraging the poor to work. It's tied together to our first little application. When, when we can have an application of providing for the poor in a way that encourages them to work, that's the best kind of provision for the poor. That's exactly what the gleaning laws detailed in texts like Leviticus chapter 19 provided. And we do well to look for ways to promote these same kinds of principles in provision for the poor in our own day. Well, what does Boaz do when he sees someone using the uh, laws of gleaning? Does he, the, the laws say basically you need to leave a little bit around the edge of your field for the poor. Uh, what does Boaz do? Does he cut the corner uh, as close as he can? Does he cut the margins as narrowly as he can? No, it, it appears in every way that his foreman and everyone knows that Boaz is totally fine with gleaners being out there and using the law that's meant to provide for them. And indeed, Boaz arrives and he scans the field and he notices somebody who uh, is new. Bethlehem is a small town. He can pick out the foreigner, even though her skin and other things are probably not so different from the Israelites. They, uh, they are all distant cousins going back to basically the family of Abraham. And so he sees, he sees this one who can be picked out because she's new. She is not someone from Bethlehem. He asks his foreman, who is this young woman? Who is this young woman? Brothers and sisters, here's a third little application from our first point. Do we look out for the people on the margins? Do we look out for the one who's new? I am thankful that I had a mother who taught me to do this from very young. Whenever there was a visitor in church, We'd stand up and my mother would kind of grab my shoulder and point in the direction of any visitor who was close to my age and say, that's the first person you're going to talk to. And so from a young age, I, I learned that we should be looking out for not just our friends to go speak to them first. We should be looking out for the people on the margins. How can we welcome them? How can we say hello to them? This is This is the kind of... This is the kind of way Boaz is operating. He is, he is asking about the one who's on the margins. Who is she? How can we help her? Is every implication of the text. But brothers and sisters, I'm going to uh, go back to now something that relates more to our uh, central application. And the central application is to keep the name of the Lord as our focus. And so now I'm going to go back to his greeting to the workers. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. When we have an opportunity to work explicitly in the name of the Lord, let us take that opportunity. And every indication of the text as we read on is that this is not just lip service. This is a man who is quick to speak in the name of the Lord, who is quick to serve in the name of the Lord. And we will see that even though 
Not everybody can say it as explicitly and loudly in exactly the same way. Boaz knows that Ruth is working in the name of the Lord also. That takes us to our second point, encouraging in the name of the Lord. This cannot have been an easy morning for Ruth. She trusts in the name of the Lord, but everybody knows that there is a difference between the Lord himself and the people of the Lord. She trusts in the name of the Lord, but she is going out in a vulnerable and difficult situation. I think I may have used before uh, the illustration of the time that I first walked into a college cafeteria, my college cafeteria. I was scared. I didn't know anybody. I didn't recognize a few people that I did know. And so I find a table that nobody's there. I go. I sit down. I spill my drink. I'm scared. It's not going very well. Okay, now take that and multiply it by more than 10. Who is Ruth? She is a Moabite. She does not know anybody. She can't look out for the five people that she knows because there aren't five people that she knows. And while there's a little bit of a social structure in a college, you know, the, the underclassmen are, you know, kind of under the seniors and so on, it's not so strict. Do you think there's a strict social status here? I mean, look back at how the foreman identifies her. He has to use the word Moabite twice and he can't use her name. She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She's the foreigner, as she, him, as she herself will say. You know, I was feeling scared and sorry for myself, but, I mean, I can go back and get another drink. I can go get back and get a second plate of food. Ruth, it's possible she left a completely bare cupboard. It's possible she didn't pack a lunch because she didn't have any food to bring. The text doesn't say. We can perhaps assume that she has at least a flask of water and a little bit of water, but this is a long, hot day working in the sun. This is an extremely difficult situation for Ruth. And so with a little bit of contemplation about the difficult situation of Ruth, let's look at what Boaz says to her. Is she worried that the boss has showed up and now she's going to be kicked out? He calls her my daughter and tells her not to leave his field. Is she worried that her despised social status could make her the target of evil, he says, you will be safe here. Is she worried about her probably empty water flask? He says, go and drink the water that my men have drawn. Ruth's response in verse 10 is not surprising. 
This is this is kindness in action. Ruth enters the field speaking in the name of the Lord, and he is a man of word and deed. But now, Boaz is not done with his encouragement. When she falls down before him and says, how is it that I have found favor in your eyes and that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Notice he didn't say anything about her being a foreigner. She brings that up. Boaz answers her, I know your difficult situation. And I know your testimony of faith in the Lord which has stirred our little town. That's the language from back in 1 verse 19. Her testimony in the Lord has already been heard. It has already stirred the town. And at least for Boaz, it has stirred him in a way of being encouraged by by hearing of a convert, a new believer. That's what that's what verse 12 is saying. It's it's Old Testament language. It's have you ever heard of of the phrase Christianese? You know that we can use Christian uh, terms and, and 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 theological language, and and we have to be a little bit careful if we're speaking to a new believer. We want to be careful not to use so much Christianese that they they can't understand what we're saying. Well, this is kind of Old Testament Christianese. He's 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 saying it the 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 full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What does that mean? Under whose wings you've come to take refuge. That's Old Testament language for the Lord God who you have trusted in for your salvation. I rejoice to hear your testimony as a true convert in the Lord. Now, Ruth then is also working in the name of the Lord. She is not the boss of the field. She couldn't walk onto the field and say, and say as, as Boaz did uh, when, when he entered, she couldn't walk in and say, the Lord be with you. She just That is not her, her social place. That's not something she's able to do. But her testimony in the Lord has already stirred the town to a point where Boaz knows now this is this is a little bit of a this is a little bit of the of the masculine image, right? Because guys flex their muscles, right? But Boaz knows she's not just out in the field flexing her muscles, showing off how many hay bales she can throw around. She's working in the name of the Lord. She is working in the fields of the promised land as a Moabite who has professed faith in the Lord God Yahweh. And Boaz knows this. He has been stirred by this. And he encourages the new believer in the name of the Lord. This is, this is the central application. Because hard work is good, but there's unbelievers who work hard. Kindness is good. There are unbelievers who show certain types of Kindness. But the first thing we are called to do is to profess the name of the Lord. And Boaz works in the name of the Lord. Ruth works in the name of the Lord, under whose wings she has come for refuge, for protection, 
for salvation. With a testimony of faith that in a short order has stirred this little town. The first thing we are called to do is to work in the name of the Lord. New Testament language. We are Christians. Let us work for Christ under whom we have protection. And we have now not only the beautiful Old Testament images of protection, such as the wings that protect the little hatchlings, We have now New Testament language of protection as well, that the promises have been fulfilled, that we have protection by the very blood of Christ which covers us from the punishment of sin. Let us be Christians who work in the name of Christ, who rejoice in the protection of Christ, our only Savior. Now the words of Boaz have already extended a great kindness to Ruth. What a blessing when the people of the Lord God, who is the God of hesed, of steadfast love, of loving kindness, what a blessing when God's people would show faithful love, loving kindness. When we would demonstrate something of the kindness of the Lord, even as Our steadfast love is never perfect as God's is. Boaz's word and deed. It was not enough to tell her how safe she was to encourage her. Now the lunch bell rings. And Ruth has been encouraged. But the situation is far from normal yet. She's still the foreigner. And so she goes, perhaps without any lunch, to sit on her own at the edge. But Boaz, with his own voice, said to her, Come here, verse 14, and eat some bread. And then he doesn't just give her, you know, some some dry chunk of bread. He says, Come here, eat some bread. And dip your morsel in the wine. Wine is not the usual word for wine there. It's it's perhaps best translated vinegar. It's something like it's something like one thousand BC vinegar sauce sour wine bread dip. It's something to make the bread less stale and more tasty. Daniel Block once put it this way quote, Boaz could not allow Ruth to eat dry bread while he enjoyed more pleasant food. End of quote. And brothers and sisters, as we're reading these verses, verses 14 and 15 and 16, are we almost smiling at the kindness shown? at the complete reversal of situation for Ruth. He gives her the bread, the roasted grain with his own hand, which is a way of saying with actions louder than words 
to all of the workers who are sitting there with him, look, she is accepted in our presence. She is going to eat the bread with us. She's going to have more than enough. She's got a little doggy bag to take home with her. She ate and she was satisfied. When is the last time Ruth had a full meal with leftovers and not just stale bread, but 1000 BC dipping sauce to, to make it more tasty? When is the last time she had a meal like this? It may have been some time since she had a meal like this. Uh, these verses not even make us smile. And should we even be thinking about should we even be thinking about a budding romance? Well, Ruth is not thinking about that. There's she has no idea who Boaz is. I mean, that's she, she's not thinking about that. Boaz might be Naomi when she hears about everything that happened today, her mind definitely goes in that direction. Oh, you know, he's in our family. It's, it's good that you don't leave his field. That's where you should stay. And if there's any doubt about how Naomi says it in verses 20 and 21... Uh, chapter 3 is going to remove those doubts and um, Ruth is going to or Naomi is going to uh, take things too far but we'll come to that Lord willing next week encouraging in the name of the Lord word and deed a worthy man of the Lord well, now let's look at verses 15 to 23 more closely, speaking in the name of the Lord. This will be a briefer point. Ruth, uh, she still has to carry everything home. She has a little doggy bag left from the lunch she was given from the hand of Boaz. And now after the reapers were told, you know, just, 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 drop, just drop, drop some extra bundles for her. Make it make it easier. So after that, she has an ephah to carry home. That's about 30 to 50 pounds of grain. So it's about it's about a small square hay bale of of grain. And she doesn't just have to you know put this in the cart and wheel it to the trunk and then lug it a little ways from the trunk into the house. She has to carry this from the outskirts of the town back into the city. We're not exactly sure how far that is, but um, Ruth, is, uh, Ruth is pretty strong. Ruth is pretty strong. We're going we're gonna to see in chapter 3, she can, she can actually carry more than 50 pounds, uh, but we're, we're not there yet. And so she comes back with the, with the little doggy bag of her leftover lunch. She comes back with a full ephah of grain, of barley, and... Um, Naomi says, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Because uh, there's no way you're coming home like this unless somebody took notice of you. 
Now, we already talked a little bit about how uh, Naomi will notice the name Boaz, and uh, her mind is already thinking about possibilities. We see it at the end of verse 20, but for the rest of our time this morning, let's look at what Naomi says before that. The start of verse 20. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, steadfast love, loving kindness, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, brothers and sisters, if you were here last week, we spoke about how the testimony of Ruth is soaring and beautiful and firm. The testimony of Naomi in chapter 1 can be described as a wavering, struggling testimony. But let us, even thinking back to how Naomi speaks about the work of the Lord and, and and the way that the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with her in verse 20, let us know that when when we would be struggling, when we would be wavering, perhaps in the face of very difficult circumstances, and Naomi's circumstances are very difficult, there is a huge difference between saying, I don't think God exists. How could this be what my life is? And saying, The Lord has dealt bitterly with me, but I'm still going to pray, chapter 1, verse 9. I'm still going to speak, chapter 1, verse 20, in the name of the Lord. He is still the Lord God. And even when I'm wavering, even when I'm struggling, I'm going to continue to pray and speak and struggle in His name. There is a huge difference. And so as one who's wavering in the name of the Lord, when an ephah of barley is dropped on her kitchen counter, she is quick to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, Boaz and Ruth saw more clearly the rich rewards of the Lord more quickly. Ruth was praising the name of the Lord when the cupboards were bare, very plainly and firmly. Boaz is stirred by the profession of faith of a Moabite woman before he even sees her. They see the rich rewards of the salvation of God. And praise the Lord when by the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence we are able to give firm testimony even when the cupboards are bare, the pain level is high, the prayers that we think should be answered are not answered. When when we're single and living with our mother-in-law, whatever, whatever it is, praise the Lord 
when we are praising the Lord firmly when the cupboards are bare. But you know, sometimes when we're wavering and struggling, when we're wavering and struggling in the name of the Lord, he drops an ephah of grain on our kitchen counter. Brothers and sisters, this, this, this can take us to a text like 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may, may be able to endure it. Naomi was wavering. She was speaking in the name of the Lord. And when and when the blessing crashed down in front of her, she was quick to praise the name of the Lord, whose hesed, whose kindness, whose steadfast love has not forsaken the living or the dead. And that is the central application of this text, to see the rich rewards of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, His kindness is such that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And praise the Lord when we can see the rich rewards of eternal life itself even when the cupboards are bare. But let us praise the Lord always. Let us praise the Lord always. Always. When it is harder to see the riches and when it is easier to see the riches of the blessings from His hand. Amen. Let us pray. Lord.